as you all know, many of you who have been here for a while, you know we like to read the word, get a, get a brief overview, and then I'm gonna hit some of the, the major points uh, as we walk through. And the title of my message today is Faithful Warriors in Action. The faithful warriors in action, faithful friends in action. Um, I really couldn't decide on a title, and I spent more time trying to think of a title than I actually did writing the message itself, um, which you may be like, oh, you didn't spend much time on the message, and that's not up for discussion. I just couldn't decide on a title, uh, to be quite honest. And I want to start off in Isaiah 41, uh, and it says in verse 10, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be anxiously looking or do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We know that David is wandering in the wilderness. He's got his people. They're coming to cross the Jordan, which we just read about. And in this whole time, we think, you know, what is David thinking? And a lot of us may be in different seasons. A lot of us may be in our own wilderness. And we just kind of feel lost. We, we, we feel like uh, we don't know what's coming next. We're, we are fearing what comes next. We are anxious because we don't know, and we try to figure it out. But as it says right here in Isaiah, I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. And what we pull from this as we start off is that God supplies exactly what you need in the wilderness of life. It may, buy, it may not be exactly what you, what you think. It may not be exactly what you want, but it is always exactly what you need. In verse 16, in chapter, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 17, verse 16, we start off with saying, Now therefore, sin quickly and tell David, saying, Do not spend the night at the fords of the wilderness, but by all means cross over, or else the king and all the people who are with him will be destroyed. So we know that David had put people in place, a, a secret intelligence group almost, uh, and, and we saw last time how Hushai had uh, corrupted Ahithophel's wisdom, his counsel, and we know that there were also some prophets that, that were set in place to come give word to David as things were happening. So that's what's happening, and uh, Hushai has then told these friends, these prophets that David has put in place to go, hey, send quickly, tell David, and a lot of times in life, we will get counsel from those around us. And our friends give counsel, but it ultimately, it's our job to take action. It's our responsibility to take action when the counsel comes. And maybe it can be, maybe it can be a, a word of exhortation that, that lifts up the soul, or maybe it's a correction that comes because we're kind of drifting in one way that we probably shouldn't go. But either way, it, as our friends give counsel, uh, it's our job to take action. And, and it's not to get def defensive or, or offended when counsel comes, especially if you have the right friends in place. We talked about, we, I, I've shared this over the last two weeks, about how important it is to have the right friends in place. And, and what, what it comes down to is that we must take responsibility of our own life. Just in this case, just in this scenario, Hushai is sending people to tell David what he should do, but it's David's responsibility to actually move. You know, the, the, the council could have come at any time, but if David does nothing, this story would end up completely different. It is his responsibility to move, just as it is our responsibility to move and take action 
when we have counsel come in our direction or a word from the Lord that comes in our direction. It's not to, it's not to wait and just wait till it's convenient for us. No, it's to move and move when we are told to move. It is our job to take responsibility for our own life. We continue in verse 17. Now Jonathan and Ahimeaz were staying uh, at Enrogel, and a maidservant would go and tell them, and they would go and tell King David. And they could not be, uh, they could not be seen entering the city. So not is it just the, the prophets necessarily that his friends that were set in place. Now these friends, you know, Hushai told them, then they go told somebody else. And then, so it's kind of getting passed down in a way. And this, this maidservant would go, they would be the one that go and tell them. And what this shows is that a network of good and faithful friends is a source of life. We need a network in our life of more than just one person, more than just two people, more than real, realistically, more than the people that we're just comfortable with. We need to invite people in that we haven't done life with. Like, for example, I could speak for myself. Uh, I have a good friend, Devin, I mentioned many a times from this stage. Uh, we basically grew up together. We've been in the journey of pursuing the Lord together at the same time. The revival took place at the same time. But if, but if I just stuck with just him, and, and didn't expand my network, I wouldn't be able to do all that I do, quite honestly. You know, he's only capable so much. We need to invite people into our lives, to speak into our lives, and, and, and sometimes we need to challenge ourselves to say, who's gonna be the people that are gonna challenge me the most? And then, and then invite them into our life, to speak into your, to, to, into your life. I have those people, and it is a source of life. Because, because you get to lean on multiple people. This is almost what a life group is. We, we just had life group Sunday last week, and we had plenty of people signing up, a lot of groups that were over capacity in a way and, and just really full. But, but this is what life group is. And you haven't missed out. You haven't missed your chance to sign up for a life group. I promise you that. Our life group, you can still sign up at our Welcome Center after service. If you weren't here last week, you missed it. We want you to go. Get plugged into a life group. It's important. We need a network of good and faithful friends in our life because they will be a source of life, especially in our wilderness. We continue on in verse 19. And the woman took a covering and spread it over the well's mouth and scattered grain on it so that nothing was known. So basically what this was is they jumped in this well. This woman saw, she said, okay, we're gonna help them. She puts this covering on top and uh, she spreads a bunch. So then when they come to, when Absalom and his men, they come to find him, then uh, they, they can't find him. So she's helping him out. And, and what this is, this woman didn't have to do that, but it shows that not everybody was on Absalom's side, even in the kingdom. It, not everybody was on his side. And God may use you to do good in another's life to save them. You never know how God's gonna use you. The woman didn't, we, we don't know for sure, but my assumption is the woman didn't actually know them she just knew that they were in trouble, they needed help, and she stepped in, and she took action. She, she, had, she had, in my assumption would be, she had a, a feeling that, oh, I should really help them. Maybe the Lord placed her there just at that time just to be able to protect them so that the word could actually get to David. And God may use you in the same exact way. You never know where you're gonna be when God will want to use you, to speak through you, to provide for something, for somebody, he, will, he can and he will. It's just, are you gonna listen? And are you gonna move? Are you gonna take action? I look at Mark chapter 12, verse 30, and 
Uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. We continue on. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. What I see here is this woman that covers the well. She was, she was uh, the, the one and the, the two that came to the well. That was her neighbor. She saw them as her neighbor. She said, what would, what would I want in this situation? And then she went and did that. And it's, it's a good reminder for us that we must not sit idle and do nothing. It is a commandment to serve and love our neighbor as ourselves. That doesn't necessarily mean just the person right next to your house, but that's every, everybody around you. It is our responsibility. It is a commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves. And that, therefore, that means when we get, when we get a, a word from the Lord to go do something for somebody and provide something, it may not make sense to us. Oftentimes, it doesn't make sense to me, but I know it's my responsibility I know that it's a commandment, and that's the way that I can love my neighbor as myself because oftentimes when I step in, even if it doesn't make sense to me, even if it's uncomfortable, when I step in, it's exactly what that person needed. And then you get the opportunity to, for, to, to, to talk about Jesus, to talk about your own journey, to share your own story because there is great power in your story. And we continue on in verse 20. Then Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house and said, where are Himaeus and Jonathan? And the woman said to him, they have crossed the brook of water. And when they searched and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. So not only did this woman cover up the well, she also lied. She lied. And you're, and you're thinking, well, thou shalt not lie, you know, all this stuff. Thinking, well, that's, that's wrong. And, and, and I look at it and I say, no, we don't need, we don't have to help wickedness win. If something comes along for us, and, to, to, and we have to choose between, between God's way or lying. I'm choosing God's way every time. And God's way, oftentimes in this scenario, to be able to deliver this word, she had to lead them astray. We don't have to help wickedness win. They, they, just because we may have to, what some people may see as this, in this scenario, crossing a line, uh, because, yeah, it's lines, because they obviously didn't. They're in the well, uh, Ultimately, it was for them to be able to fulfill God's plan. That's what it was. And, and we see that God's law supersedes the law of man. It always supersedes the law of man. And, 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 and in our lives, we will have to make decisions. Are we going to be on God's side or are we going to be on man's side? Are we going to be chasing after the, the uh, wanting to be known, wanting to be loved, wanting to be liked by everybody? Or do we only care about chasing after, uh, or, or only care about chasing after Jesus and what he wants, what his plan, what his will, what his desire is for our life? What does he want to do through you? What does he want to do in this world? It is our job to stand firm on the word of God, stay planted, get into the word is the first part. We have to know the word, but we stand firm on the word. And when the, the questions come about following man or following God, you will know which way to take. And the enemy comes to steal, to kill, destroy. We already know this. And when that happens, how are you going to respond? How are you going to react? God's law always supersedes the law of man. We continue on in verse 22. Then David and all the people who were with him arose and crossed the Jordan. And by dawn, not even one remained who had not 
cross the Jordan. We see that they got the word, the message was delivered, and what did they do? They took action. They took action, and God wants to see our faith in action. David, he didn't necessarily know what was happening. You know, these people could have been corrupted. They could have been corrupted while they were there. The message could have been corrupted along the way. They could have been leading into a trap. But David trusted that God would deliver them. David trusted. He had great faith. And with that great faith came action. And when you have great faith, you can take any action, and you're not going to really worry. You're not going to stress. You're not going to fear about what's to come because you trust in the one who created ever? You trust in the God of the universe. He's not going to lead you astray. He's going to take care of you. He's going to fulfill every single one of your needs. And once again, this intelligence operation succeeds. Because Hushai had corrupted Ahithophel's wisdom and counsel. And now these men had delivered the message to give David, to let him know exactly where he needs to move. And we see this over and over again, that all the prayers of David are, are finally, they're, they're being answered. All of David's prayers are being answered. And in verse 23, we continue on. Now that Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his donkey and arose and went to his home, to his city, and set his house in order and strangled himself. Thus he died and was buried in the grave of his father. This is a hard topic for a lot of people. And, and, I, and I understand it. I recognize it. But what I also recognize is that this, and what I will talk about is we're not going to, I don't want to try to get in too deep because I could talk about this forever, but spirit of suicide is very real. And what happens here is that, yeah, he sets his house in order. He, he wants to go out in, a, in an honorable way. Uh, but what he knew was that when David wins, because he knew David would win, that David would kill him anyways. But he didn't want to be taken out by the hand of another. So he, he figured he'd fall on his own sword in a way. But that's not what's happening here. We know that Ahithophel, he was the enemy. Ahithophel was the enemy in this. And, and he was, because he's the enemy, he's basically on the side of death. And those who are of death look to death as a solution. He, he, didn't, have, he didn't have a spirit of the Lord he, he, you know, people maybe compared him and his words and his wisdom and counsel as to hearing from the Lord himself, but he was the enemy. He was the enemy in this whole thing. And we look at John chapter 10. It says, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What did the thief do for Ahithophel? He stole, he killed, and he destroyed. He destroyed a bloodline. He, he killed him off. Ahithophel may have taken his own life, but, but I really believe it wasn't Ahithophel at work. That was the enemy at work, 100%. And we have to recognize, we need discernment of the Spirit of God to recognize and see these things. And this is why we need a network of people to call them out as well. But what I also think what happened with Ahithophel is that he didn't necessarily, he, he did this, he had a lot of shame because then he was, his, his counsel, his wisdom was corrupted and this is what he was known for. He put his legacy on this and, and he placed his identity in his counsel, in his job. And this is a reminder for us that we must not find our identity in what we do, but who we are in God's sight. Because the moment we find our identity in what we do, we get lost. Because we're not perfect we have a sin nature. We will fail. 
But when the failure comes, are you looking into what you are doing and you're placing your trust and all your faith and your identity in this? Or are you placing it in who God created, created you to be? Because you're created in his image. And he sees you, he sees you as beautiful. He sees you as, as his son or daughter. And you are beautiful. You are wonderful in his sight. So when we get lost and we decide my identity has been found in this, in, in my job, my identity is in my career, my identity is in my sports, my identity is in how I look, it's in how I preach, it's, it, it's, in, it's on all this stuff. But we're wrong in all those. Our, our identity needs to be found in Christ and Christ alone. Because even when the, the, the way of life happens and there is trials, there will be tribulation, when it comes, when we find our identity in Christ, that we cannot waver. We won't waver because our identity is him alone and he is everlasting. And he is the God of the universe. He's greater than all. And as we look at this whole scenario, I, I, I dove into a commentary in one of uh, Charles Spurgeon and it's in your notes, but I wanted to share it with you and it's rather long, but I'm gonna read it for you. Thousands set their houses in order, but destroy their souls. They look well to their flocks and their herds, but not to their hearts, best interests. They gather broken shells with continuous industry, but they throw away priceless diamonds. They exercise forethought, prudence, and care everywhere, but where they are required. They save their money, but squander their happiness. They are guardians of their estates, but suicides of their souls. What I, what I see that Charles, what, in an overview of this is I see that he recognized that just as Ahithophel, he found his identity. And, and just in this, this little paragraph here is that we're putting all our energy in the wrong places. We, we focus too much on the, the, the ways of the world than of the ways of God. We focus too much on what others may think about us instead of thinking about what God thinks about us. And we need to adjust our thinking. We need to fix our thought process. We need to come against those lies of the enemy. We need to silence the voice of the enemy. We continue on in verse 24. It says, Then David came to Mahanim, or Mahanaim, and Absalom crossed the Jordan, and he and all the men of Israel with him. Not one was left behind. Not one was left behind of David's army, and then now Absalom crosses, and all of them make it, and he's got all the men of Israel, again, trying to defeat in numbers. What we see here for, for Absalom is that he is, he took, because he took Hushai's counsel, is that he is heading up the army. He's heading up the battle, so Absalom as head is good for his vanity, but not good for the battlefield. And some of us may be in the same boat. We rely on our vanity, and we do things because of what it makes us feel like, even though it may not be the best decision. Maybe we're in positions that we just like the position. We like the honor and, and ultimately pride. We have a pride problem. But God's plan and God's will is different than that of our pride. And we need to be able and learn how to surrender. We need to surrender and we need to let go and let God. 
In verse 27, we continue on. Now when David had come to Mahanaim, Shobai, the son of Nahash from Rabbah, the sons of Ammon, Macher, the son of Amiel from Lodabar, and Barzillai, the Gileadite from, uh, from Rogalim. I highlighted the three because these friends, these friends kind of came out of nowhere. They just, David needed help. As we know that they're thirsty, kind of weary, they're tired. But these friends, they come out of nowhere. And friends in need are friends indeed. It, it doesn't matter what they need. It doesn't even matter if you know the person. But if somebody's in need, they, they're their friend. They can be a friend. And, and it's our job to step in and help in these situations. Just as these three came out of nowhere, found David, and they said, well, let's give you all of these things, you know, all the wheat, all the barley. We provided these friends out of nowhere without knowing them, knowing that he was there, but they know he was in need. They decided we're going to fulfill this. We're going to help you in this time. And we see this uh, as we finish off verse 28. We go into verse 29. Uh, honey curd, sheep, cheese, all the good stuff, food, carbs, love it. Uh, for David and for the people who were with him to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. You know, as I started this off, as I started off this message, I talked about how important it was uh, that we recognize that God will give us everything we need in our wilderness. And that's exactly what happens here. Because David is, is, is tired. David's weary. They're thirsty. Him and his men. And God sends friends of comfort in times of afflictions. We don't necessarily know they're going to be there for that reason, but God knew. God knows. He's sending people your way right now in this season that have maybe experienced the same exact thing that you're walking through. Or maybe he's preparing you. Maybe you're that friend that has a story that you haven't shared, that almost you have some, you have some shame, you have some vanity in maybe, that you don't want people to know that because you don't want to be seen as weak. But the moment you share that story, you're going to be able to help somebody else in need who is walking through that same exact thing. We see, God's plan is always far greater than our own. And I have seven principles that ultimately make us, make you, make me a great friend. How to be a great friend. It's not limited to these, but these are some that, that I came up with. Uh, that, that, I, that I looked at and I said, this is, this, is, this is a good start of how to be a great friend. Now, I'm going to not spend a lot of time here, but concern yourself with the well-being of others. Quit thinking about yourself, what, what's happening with others in your life. Give your word and keep it. How's your integrity? Do you have integrity? If you say you're going to do something, do you do it? Or, do you fall, or, or does it fall through? Don't seek to exploit weakness. People will share things, intimate conversations. They will share things with you as a great friend. It's your job not to exploit that in them. And some people I know, they have fake friends. I've had them where you share something, you thought you could trust them, and then they go run off and tell people about it. A lot of trust is broken that way. And it really, 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 really is hard when that person that goes to exploit the weakness, you know they go to church. 
that is a spit in the face of God. We're supposed to be an example of Christ. But yet, here we are, and we're exploiting others' weaknesses to make ourselves feel better. Give generously, so generously. Not is it just to give generously in finances, but so generously into whatever experience, life experience you have, the word of the Lord, to sow generously. Be generous in all that you do. Be a source of comfort. Sometimes people don't need answers. I learned this a lot in my life. And many men may be able to, re to resonate, but when somebody comes to you with something, you wanna fix it. But oftentimes, it's not necessarily what everybody needs. Sometimes they just want you to listen. They wanna be heard. And that's all they need to feel that there is a place, a source of comfort. Remember grace given to you. This is one that grace is not my strong suit. It's the lowest on my spiritual gifts. I'm working on it, I promise you. But I often have to remember myself for the grace given to me because I'm not the best at extending grace. But I, I have to remind myself and then I'm like, okay, I can extend grace here because God's given me grace and far worse things. He's given me grace and a lot more. And finally, how to be a great friend, model self-sacrifice. Again, it's not all about you. We start and end kind of on the same thing. It's not all about you. Just as Jesus took the cross for us, for you, for me, for your sin, for my sin, this self-sacrifice to a T. And what we see in all of this is that there is no greater friend than the one that we have in Jesus. No greater friend than the one we have in Jesus. And this, is a, this should be a satisfying, uh, something that brings great peace to our mind. Because when I talk about network of friends, when I talk about who the Lord is bringing into your life, the greatest of these is Jesus himself. It's a reminder that it's not about religion. It's not about rules. It's not about forcing you to do anything to achieve this or that. It's not a performance-based love that many of us in this world are used to. It's about a relationship. And he wants a relationship with you today. And I wanna ask everybody to bow their head, close their eyes. And I wanna give this opportunity to you. Maybe you're here in this house today, this morning, and you've never said yes to Jesus. You've never said, yes, God, I want that relationship with you. You've never been saved. Or maybe you were when you were really, really young and then you just went on a completely different path. I resonate with you, but you're never too far gone. He just wants a relationship with you today. It does not matter what you have figured out or what you don't have figured out. He just wants you to say yes to him. And if that's you in this house this morning, I just ask you to, if you will, just raise your hand. Raise your hand and saying yes to Jesus. Raise your hand and saying yes. I will take yes. Amen. You see those hands. See those hands. See those hands. Praise the Lord. 
is we had six people who said yes to the Lord for the first time this morning here at Live Church. And I promise you, it's nothing that I do, it's nothing that we do on this stage, but it is everything what the Holy Spirit is doing in your lives.